You're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I tell you something, people, I'm going to start watching Game of Thrones this weekend. And I know I'm late to the show, and I never really had an interest, but as you know, me and Joanne are getting married in September, and we're actually taking our honeymoon in Dubrovnik, which is in Croatia, where they shot seasons two through six, I believe, of Game of Thrones. So I just want to know what the area looks like, and I want to just check it out so when I go over there, I can look cool and be like, hey, I saw that on Game of Thrones. Anyway... We have a great show today. We have a a very talented actor who, actually, we have two mutual people in common that she has worked with and I know. One is my old next-door neighbor in Burbank, Mark Valadez, who wrote for a good show called Gang Related. And the other is my dear friend who's been on Cooper Talk twice and I've known her husband since the late 80s, uh, Rose Abdu, who is in a movie called Meddling Moms. And my guest is Sandra Santiago. How you doing, Sandra? Hi, I'm fine. How are you? Good. Ro- Rose told me to tell you hi. Okay. Oh, please give her a big hi back for me. So she was fun to work with. She was a lot of very funny girl and very, very uh, uh, talented as, as are, well. As are you. So <laughs> now I got to ask you. You know, you you're you're originally from New York. And then you moved to Florida when you were younger. When did you get into acting? When did you decide you wanted to pursue this crap, which you've spent your whole life pursuing and doing? Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, yes, we moved from the Bronx to South Florida, uh, which ended to be Homestead, which uh, I don't recommend anyone moving to Homestead. Um, but... It, it's a that's a long story. You know, Homestead was the place where it was hit by the hurricane Andrew. Okay. Anyway, it was devastated by Andrew, and it didn't look much better before Andrew. So, <laughs> I went to high school there, and then um, I, I suppose I got good grades, and I was able to get some scholarships, and I wound up at the University of Miami, and I didn't go there for acting. I had no, I had no dreams. Well, I, I maybe I had secretly dreams of performing because I always enjoyed watching the Oscars, and I loved watching Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, and, you know, I was, you know, I was into to the Hollywood actors. Uh, Errol Flynn was my favorite. <laughs> but... I went there to study special education and uh, psychology. And so this is how it all happened. I was sitting on campus, and some young man came up to me. Uh, He said he was the director at the theater school, the University of Miami, and he was doing a play called um, The Student by Eugene Ionescu who I had no idea who, who he was, nothing, you know. Okay. <laughs> and he said, you, you're perfect for the student. And I said, I said, I kind of laughed. I thought he was just coming on to me. I said, how do you know I'm an actor? I, I mean, why would you even ask me? He says, because you look like what I see in this character. So I went home. I got his information. He really wasn't coming on to me. He was just a nice guy. <laughs> 
And I asked my father, I said, Dad, what do you think about this? Should I pursue this? And he said, try it, Sandy. So in the midst of studying all my in my other classes, education classes and psych classes, I was studying, I, studying, trying to learn lines, which I'd never had to do in my life, to play this huge part in this one act. And uh, I caught what they say is the bug, you know. Now, now, when you were studying for the part, did you get very distracted from your other work? Because I would guess, you know, what you were studying was great. Well, that's what you wanted to go into when you got to school. But all of a sudden, there was this fascinating acting part. It must have been hard to juggle both of the two because you're probably like, I just want the play to come. Right. It was very, very difficult. Needless to say, I was burning uh, the stick at both ends. Um, then, I, you know, the, the, the teachers there, one particular... Uh, great teacher named Robert Lowry, which we called Buckets for various reasons. There, there's all kinds of reasons why. I, you know, one was that he's a great baseball player, and the other was that he drank a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he and the others encouraged me to, to take acting classes, and I did. And by my junior year, I switched to uh, theater arts. I gave up all my hopes and dreams of being a psychology teacher <laughs> and became an actor. And, you know, I did a lot of plays there. I basically learned on my feet um, because they put me in a lot of plays, a lot of musicals. I, I had been, I studied, no, I did study. I was in the choir in Catholic school in the Bronx, and that's where I learned to sing. And so they found out I, I was a singer, and then they put me in all the musicals. Now, the other... So that's how I started, really. Well, now, and, um, the other the other actors must have been getting a little irritated because you come out of nowhere and you're getting all these parts. Yes, they did. <laughs> that is the truth. <laughs> so, uh, all the... Uh, particularly the women... <laughs> So, so you're, you're you're acting, and at what point do you sit there and think that I'm going to make this my living? Because I know I believe you went on to get your MFA, I believe. MFA, yeah, at at Southern Methodist University. At that, you know, when I left U of M, I didn't feel prepared to make the leap, and I thought the worst that could happen is psych courses. And continue in that field but I just made the leap of faith uh, at a certain point I said if, if I'm going to pursue this I need to really be as good as I can be so I, I went to SMU to study more the classics like um, voice training and uh, uh, not not singing but Vocal, you know, to to be able to do Shakespeare and and all the all the uh, classics, um, and I got a very good education there. Um, great teachers, I learned a lot. And then, while I was there, I 
I needed extra money because I wanted to live alone in my own apartment. So I got an agent in Dallas, and that agent would send me out on modeling gigs, and one day she sent me out on a movie gig. And it was just a a low-budget feature uh, called The Awakening of Edna. It was kind of a vanity piece for a very wealthy woman in Dallas whose parents were extremely wealthy, and they hired Martin Giroux, an incredible director. He was producer on Breakfast at Tiffany's and a lot of other great big movies. Martin Giroux directed it, and um, it starred all these great actors from New York, uh, Mark, Mark Lynn Baker, um, oh God, there were so many, Kathleen Widows, uh, uh, Paul Shinar. I know these names might not be familiar with a lot of people, but in those days, they were well, well-known great actors, and they still are. Well, Paul has since died. Um, but there were so many great people in that little production. And I played a part named Mariqueta, who's from New Orleans, French Creole. And so I went to the audition, and uh, Martin Giroux, I met with Martin Giroux, and that afternoon I was told I got the part. And I, that's how I got my SAG card, my Screen Actors Guild card, because I actually had a very you know, significant part in it. And I was not supposed to be working while studying, you know, my, in my class, having classes. But my, um, the head of the department um, let me do it. That always cracks me up. I've talked to a lot of other people. Who the annoyance of my classmates. They, they, they always stay, but they always think a lot of people say, when you're, you're going to school for acting and then if a part comes up, they don't want you to take it. And I'm thinking... That, that adds so much to your education. I think a teacher would want you to be able to do that. Yes, and I think that's how he he looked at it. He he, he read the part. He he looked up who you know. He knew who Martin Giroux was. He knew it was a big opportunity for me. So I was allowed to to do the to do the film. I had to be flown to New Orleans. I had to miss classes, but. I, you know, I was doing very well there, so it wasn't like I was screwing up. Right. <laughs> you know? yes. um, in fact, it just enhanced my my desires and my that that I needed to put faith in this. You know, the signs were coming to me. You know, the fact that I got my SAG card so fast. I wasn't even in New York. So when I so. Um, after that, I came directly to New York as opposed to Los Angeles. Now, did you go to New York for theater, or what? What was your goal when you went to New York? What did you? Because you already had a, a movie under your belt, but you had also you're trained and you've been in schooling, so you have that stage area too. What was your yeah. goal when you went to New York? Well, you know, New York. I had family there left. Um, L.A. seemed like such a vast place to go to without knowing anyone. Uh, you know, I 
I maybe should have gone to Los Angeles, but my early career in New York was so fantastic that, you know, in those days, in the 80s, the late 70s and the 80s, New York was thriving with movie making and all the big stars were living here and shooting here and and theater was a passion of mine. You know, I, I grew up on the stage, so I didn't want to abandon my theater after I put so much money and effort into doing, <laughs> into learning about theater, I didn't want to abandon it, you know. Um, so I went straight to New York. And now... But I, I got lucky, you know. I'm... I did well in my first few years of New York. I did very well. Well, what you ended up in Beat Street now. Yeah, I well, before Beat Street, uh, oh, on top of the getting my SAG card, what SMU provided for me was a big audition in New York. And in that, it's called the League of Auditions. I don't think they do it anymore. They've changed the name. But what happened was the, you, the, the students do three minutes of two different works for every agent and casting director in New York City. And it was always held at the Juilliard School. So I did that. And I did very well. And I had a choice of, of agents. Uh, that was the other lucky thing. I got an agent right away. Uh, her name was Mary. Her name is Mary Sames. I don't see her anymore. I don't know if she, you know what's going on with her. We've since departed, but um, she came wherever I was. She came. She saw the film. She so I went with her. So she called. She you know she booked uh, meetings and auditions for me. And one day she called me and she said, "You have to get on a train right now." And it was like afternoon. She says, you've got to meet with Arvin Brown and Tony LoBianco. They're doing a view from the bridge. The actress they had has been fired for whatever reasons. I don't, I don't remember. And uh, they want to see you. I said, but I, I, don't, I haven't even read the play. She said, well, read it on the train, which is what I did. <laughs> so I went to on a train to the Long Wharf Theater, and I stepped into a room with Arthur Arvin, Mil Arvin Brown and Tony LoBianco, read with Tony, and uh, I got the part. And Arthur Miller was very much involved in the production. You know, he lived in Connecticut, and he came to visit us often. So, you know, imagine, that was my first job in New York. Well, so you, it, it, you know, and I just knew that it would never get better than that. You, you, you get you get the audition in college. You get your SAG card. You get this call. You get you know you get this play. And and were you excited about it? Oh my God, yes. I I mean, well, the ironic thing was when I was at SMU, I was put on probation because I had kind of I had a, a, a Bronx accent. But it wasn't thick. It was just enough to annoy all my teachers. <laughs> and he, they said, you're not going to graduate if you don't work on your, your speech. So I did. I worked 
oh my God, I, I would do these exercises for two hours a day. And the irony is that the first job I got, I had to do a Brooklyn accent, <laughs> you know. And, and I remember thinking, all that work. <laughs> yeah, really, it's like, it's like no, no, you, you were, it, this play was on Broadway, right? Well, it was at the Long Wharf, and a year later, it moved to Broadway. Now the whole cast. Now, what was that like moving to Broadway when you were still very new in the business? It was exciting as hell, you know. Meanwhile, I was living in a uh, a, a, a one floor walk up or five floor walk up, but on the first floor with no toilet in the uh, apartment. The toilet was in the hallway, and it was it was mine and my roommates, but we had to have the keys to get in, and, you know, it wasn't fun going to the bathroom in the wintertime. Right. Um, I mean, <laughs> you know, I was working as a singing waitress to, to make ends meet. Uh, but, but then the long walk came along, and that set off a whole bunch of, you know, um, events, yeah. uh, and because it was very successful at the Long Wharf, and it had its blessing from Arthur Miller, and it was produced by uh, White, um, a producer with the last name White, uh, big producer, I forget it, oh. Robert White, Robert Whitehead, Robert Whitehead. He was Arthur Miller's longtime producer. And so then we, you know, we prepared to go to uh, to Broadway. But I was put on hold for a while because I was up for the role of Gina. In, in, the, in the middle of all this, I got called in for Scarface, the role of Pacino's sister. Okay. And naturally, I wanted that. I wanted to do that part, even though it was kind of a thankless role. And but I knew that that would give me, you know, a bigger uh, what do you call cachet, you know. And so I was up for it for the longest time. I read with the entire cast and. At the final hour, you know, with Pacino and and Stephen Bauer, who coincidentally was a very good friend of mine from the University of Miami. We we did many musicals together, so we were friends, and we had to read together, and it was just so exciting. And let me see, I read with the whole cast: Miriam Cologne, uh, all all the characters. And the next day, I found out that, meanwhile, Arvin Brown was saying, well, is she going to do a view from the bridge or what? We need to know. Well, they went with an actress named uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, who I'm sure you're familiar with. And that was truly upsetting. (laughs) That was like... Because they were they were actually telling people that I had the part of Gina 
Pacino's sister. You know, I'd met with Pacino two or three times for it. It was, you know, it was crazy. Anyway, I, you know, doing Catherine and Uvi from the bridge was not too shabby. So, right. <laughs> so, so you don't you don't get that role of Gina, but you're doing the play now. Yeah, and the, and um, because of the review, reviews and the uh, stars that kept coming to see it, I guess I got some attention. And that's when I started auditioning, you know, for more movies, and Beat Street came along. And um, then while I was doing Beat Street, you know, everybody was talking, you know, because at that time, uh, there was no such thing as, as the Internet. You didn't know what was going on. It was just word of mouth, you know. And... People kept coming up to me and said, you know, there's this great part for you in this show called, um, it was another name, the, uh, Vice was named something else, Miami Vice was, it was called, oh, I forget the original name. In fact, that's the first script I got. And, and then I had to, you know, go in and audition and read for Michael Mann and Thomas Carter who directed the pilot. And next thing I know, they're flying me to Los Angeles to be put before the, I called it the firing squad, the, the suit. <laughs> right. Um, all the, the, you know, the, the people behind the networks in the suits, you know, not, not particularly the producer or directors. And I found out that night that I got the role of Gina Calabresi on Miami Vice. Now, when you got and, that role, did, I mean, the show blew up. I mean, I'm a big Vice fan. In fact, Mark Valadez, who wrote for Gang Related, me and him always communicate on Facebook because I, I, there's a, I live right outside Philadelphia and there's a station that plays old the Miami Vice reruns. And he's always bummed that you know, <laughs> he's he doesn't get that in L.A. But I'm like, Mark, it's on demand now. So, I mean, I, when I was in college, we lived and died by Vice. We loved it. I mean, I even wrote about it in my senior, in my senior communications class. How it was a fashion statement and all this, you know, the bull crap you write oh, in college. Oh, how old are you? I'm 50, I'm 55. Okay, so you were like a teenager then. Yeah, I was in, I was in, actually, I was in college when it came out. Now, now when, oh. when you, when you got the role, it's funny that you got a role, Gina, in a, in a series, and you didn't get the role Gina in the movie. But yeah, I, <laughs> I've played about three Ginas <laughs> so, in, in in my career. <laughs> so so when, when you got Vice, now they shot in Miami, I assume? Yes, that was the other uh, coincidence, and to my chagrin, uh, I, you know, I didn't want to go back to Florida. I didn't want to go back to Miami. But, you know, the first big gig I got was, was Miami Vice, and I'll never forget what my agent said. Oh, no, Sandra, they're shooting it in Miami. I thought they were going to shoot it in Los Angeles. Right. <laughs> but uh, I ended up going back to Miami for five years. No, no. I mean, I, I always kept an apartment in New York. You know, I, I never really left my New York residency ever. I just flew back and forth and had an apartment in, in uh, Miami when we were shooting there. 
Well, now when Miami Vice started, I mean, it was popular, and I mean, but did you think that it would just explode as big as it no. did? Because I mean, Miami Vice was everywhere. What was it like on the? And I always hear when you've been on a show that if it's a hit like the first two years, everyone's a lot more relaxed a lot of times because you know you're going to get a few more years. What was it like in the years in Miami Vice? Like, what was the first year like? Did you guys know you were going to get renewed for the second season, or when did you? No, find out? no, we didn't. We didn't even know if the pilot was going to be uh, successful. Although um, we kept hearing that it looked really good, and everyone was excited, you know. And then the pilot, I mean, the pilot was was given a a, a go. And then it became this, you know, the first season. But no, we didn't. I didn't. I didn't know who Don Johnson was. Uh, I didn't know who Philip was. Uh, Olivia Brown, who plays my part and played my partner, she had done a couple of films. She'd worked with, with uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, but she was only hired as a guest. And then they put her on as a regular when they saw us together, because you know we kind of. We kind of look good together as a team. And uh, I was the first one cast on Miami Vice. Uh, I remember because I asked, well, who's playing Sonny Crockett? And, and they didn't know. And I had read with the guy who was in, what's that, motorcycle oh, ch chips? Okay, Eric Estrada. Or no, Larry Wilcox. Not Eric, the other guy, the blonde. Larry Wilcox. Yeah, I read with him. But he didn't get it, obviously. Right. So. And, um, no, we, no one knew. And then, you know, it, we, everyone was always on a hold. Like, I, it was hard for me to commit to any other projects because you signed this five-year, you know, paperwork. And... You're not allowed to take any other jobs until it's either a go or no. So we, I, you know, I went from year to year like that, never knowing when it was going to get canceled. And that's why I never bought property in Florida, although I should have, because my parents lived there. But I kept thinking, well, I'll move them, or they'll come live back east, and I never thought I'd ever. And another day in Florida. Right. <laughs> no, so you're in Miami, and the show, it's, it's shows getting bigger. How is your life changing? Like, are people, because you shoot in Miami, and it's not like L.A. or New York, as you said, where there's a lot of productions. So, and I lived in L.A. for 15 years. So, you know, you're used to seeing celebrities. It's normal. It's second right. run. But in Miami, you know, the only celebrities not. are athletes, you know, like the Dolphins. So what is it like when you're an, an, an actor on a popular show, I mean, you must get somewhat swamped a little bit when you would go out. Yeah, yeah, I, the guys definitely had the brunt of all the, uh, you know, crazy women fans, although I'm sure they enjoyed it, you right. know, to a certain degree. Um, they had to have bodyguards on the set. Uh, we only got bodyguards when it was a big event, you know, like they actually gave parade down the big avenue in Chicago. 
We got flown. I guess this was the second year because I broke up with my boyfriend. Here's the crazy thing. Personally, my life was a mess. And I was not the only one. We all broke up with our spouses in the second year. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about Philip, because he ended up having like six or seven kids. I I read that. He's like, it's all these kids. I'm not sure. You know, I know his wife, uh, and she's lovely. So I'm not sure if he met her right away, but I knew that, I knew that was, everybody was breaking up was there, you know, and I was unhappy because I was heartbroken, Um, but life goes on, you know, Uh, so yeah, we we got no, you know, we, we were the biggest stars in Miami, it was crazy, but I have never acted like a star or someone famous. And I think that if you walk around acting like you're a star or you you subconsciously think you're very famous and people are going to bother you, then you attract that. Right. That's what I believe. I, I agree with you. I know because, you, you know, that's one thing you see people who want to, like they, you know, someone who goes out with a mask on and people around them, people are like, well, that must be somebody and they want to go see them. Yeah, it's weird. I I just feel I never wanted, I didn't want my anonymity, what, what's that word? No, anonymity. An, 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 you're asking the wrong person. I screw words up all the time. Anonymity. Oh. Don't forget it. I, I know what you're saying. You're anonymity. I, I never <laughs> wanted to, to lose that. I always, because that's why I love New York. You can walk in New York. I see famous people all the time. And they're not being followed by people. Or they're not being hounded by autograph people. Unless it's a big event and they're on the red, you know, on the red carpet where it's appropriate. You know, but there's a sense of freedom in New York to be able to walk around. That's why you, you live here, because you... You don't have to drive. You can walk around and go into shops and and just be normal. Right. So now, I ask you, Miami Vice, what for you was a few of your favorite episodes to do? Well, obviously, the ones they gave me the most (laughs) (laughs) storyline. I didn't, you know, that was the other unhappiness. It'd be in this third, okay, I got some good episodes along the way but it was always a fight for the camera you know away from the guys you know they especially Don I mean he got all the storylines of course because he was the star of the show and and Philip but you know I I always my my big uh um show was I was hired as a co-star in the likes of, what's that show? Um, oh, God. It was about police in L.A. It was ahead of its time as well, you know. Um, not Hill Street Blues, no. Um, yeah, not Hill Street, before Hill Street. Was it Hill Street Blues? I don't know. 
but there was always a, a cast. The cast was pretty much the co-stars were evenly distributed. Right, right. I thought this was going to be another one of those. And there was a woman character. She's a psychiatrist on there, and she was married to the chief. You know, what's her, I forget her name. She was a lovely actress with dark hair. Um, and I thought that that's, that was going to be my part. You know, my my storyline would be with with the character Sonny uh, Crockett, and you know, and then it turned, and so that was very very disappointing for me. And um, and on, I I'll go back to what my my favorite episodes are. But do you want to hear this this next thing, or well, yeah, should yeah. I go back? No, no, I want to hear. I'm going to hear what what. Yeah, because I love I love this kind of well, stuff. My, well, in the middle of all this, because of Vice, I was, you know, I was wanting to be seen by a lot of big, big directors. And I would not be allowed most of the time to even fly out of uh, uh, Florida to go to an audition because they had us on such a bizarre schedule. Like, it's, you know, the weather was going to change. No, we need you. We don't know if it's going to rain or, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I was always on hold, and I, I had no sense. I couldn't, like, really go anywhere. And they weren't using me. So I was sort of in a holding pattern and being very frustrated because there's really, there was really no culture in Florida at that time, none whatsoever. Um. And uh, I remember, this is my movie career going downhill more and more. <laughs> I, we, we had, Don Johnson pulled a, like, I'm not coming back to work until I get paid this much money. So I auditioned for this movie called Batteries Not Included. And I got the part. It was a Spielberg production. And, uh... It would be with the famed uh, acting couple, um, my God, Jessica Tandy and Hume Crone. And I was just so unbelievably excited that I, that I got this really lovely part. And then the next battle was to get Michael Mann and Universal to let me out for a couple of months to do the movie. And Spielberg actually called Michael Mann and tried to work it out with Michael Mann to have me in this film. And in the end, Michael Mann said no. Universal said no. Because there was another character, John Deal, who played Switek, he was having some kind of emotional breakdown and wanted out. And as you know, they killed his character off. Right. It was that same year. That was the reasoning why they wouldn't let me go. They couldn't lose two characters in, in one year. I mean, and I was, pre I was actually preparing myself to give up Miami Vice to do the movie. But they wouldn't even let me do that. They, were to, they would sue me. So they That's would, what I was told. They would, they would, even though, you know, your role, as you said, had changed from when you were, I mean, you were the first person cast, you had 
I mean, Spiel, when Spielberg calls, most people listen. I know Michael Mann's big, but it's Spielberg. So they, even though, I mean, your role wasn't as big as you thought it would be, they wouldn't let you go just because, and they would actually sue you. Yes. That was the way it was then. Maybe now they've lessened, you know, I, I just couldn't understand why they would And maybe, you know, there's, I have conspiracy theory that um, Don Johnson, it, he would be the only one allowed to do a movie. That was my conspiracy theory. But I got this movie, and uh, I wasn't allowed to do it. That's all I know, and it was very, very disappointing. Well, it also must be bad. I mean, you're you're an actor. You know, this is your craft. You have, you know, you. I know when you go on set, you have to play your character. But they must think that it must have sucked for your morale. Because if I was an actor, I'd, I'd be like in a crappy mood and a little pissed off. I was. I was. As a matter of fact, after it all, you know, uh, went to shit, I, I called Michael and I said, I want a, I want a break. I was very mad. And I said, I'm not coming to work. He says, okay, okay, we'll let you off for a couple of weeks. Um, and this is this was inside stuff. I mean, nobody knew this except Michael and I. And um, I had gotten to know uh, the actor. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm bringing this up, but I I had gotten to be uh, friendly with Liam Neeson because he was you know in an episode with me. Right. And I went to visit him in London, and. While I was there, he was up for the film, uh, for a Spielberg film, Spielberg film. And he was having a meeting with Spielberg, and he called my hotel, because I was staying at the Browns Hotel in London, and I got, you know, we didn't have cell phones, so, you know, I would just call and see if I got, I was, I was in Harrods, and I had called for my messages, and I got this message, Liam Neeson, come here as soon as possible, like, you know, SOS, you got to come now, right. and so I, I took a cab to this meeting, uh, these, this, these offices, and there was Liam sitting opposite uh, Spielberg, and I walk in, and I hadn't really gotten to know Spielberg in person, so it was the first time I saw him. And we sat there, drank a bottle of champagne, and he told me that I should be right now on the set in New York working on his film. He was so disappointed uh, that that I had to be passed up. So it was funny. I did get to meet the big man, and and he was very nice, And but I never worked for him again. You know, we, life passes. You know, opportunities pass. Right. Now, so then, then you had to go back to Miami Vice, and that must have made you more pissed off. No, you can imagine how upset I was. But, you know... 
I think uh, I got better, and, and I just tried to do the best of a situation. Um, I guess my favorite role that I did was when I sang. Um, uh, I sang as my mother and Gina. There's this, you know, cockamamie storyline <laughs> that I, somebody made up, I don't know. Uh, that Gina, okay, there's a, um, a, 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 okay, I, I don't even know how to start because it was, Gina had a mother who was Cuban. Then I became Cuban from Italian, I went to Cuban. Okay. And, and uh, Gina's mother, back in, in Havana, had a lover who was a German spy. I think he was a spy. Played by Jérôme Crabbe. And, and the mother was an entertainer, a singer. And this came up because Michael Mann was watching the 1986 World Series between the Boston Red Sox and the Mets in Boston in the third World Series game. Do you remember that? I don't know if you're a baseball fan. Yeah, was that uh, was that with the that wasn't the error? No, was it? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, the the Mets had won the, the you know they had lost two two two. Uh, they were in the World Series against the the Boston Red Sox, and they were down two. And my, uh, my publicist at the time, Joel Lashinsky, he, I, I dared him to get me the gig of singing on, at the World Series. Okay. And he did. For some reason, someone backed out, and I, I got the gig. And next thing I know, first you have to to tape it. You have to pre-audio tape it in case something goes wrong that day, uh, which I had to do in Miami. And then you fly to Boston, and you know you do. And here's the thing. Because they kept saying no to everything to me, I didn't tell anyone that I was singing <laughs> the national anthem at the third World Series ball game. I didn't tell a soul. I just, I just went, I'll just pretend I'm missing an action <laughs> if they need me. Works out. I fly to Boston. I think it was a Friday night. I fly there with my father in tow and my my publicist. This is the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done in my life. But I got through it. I sang the hell out of the song, and Michael Mann was watching. <laughs> He was watching the game, and I got a call and a big bunch of flowers the next day saying, why the hell didn't you tell me you were singing the national anthem? I said, 
Why should I? You know, and then he said, oh, my God, I was a nervous wreck. He said, because he didn't know I could sing or not. Right. <laughs> so he thought, what the hell is she doing? Oh, my God. Oh, my. And then when I, you know, obviously performed it very well, he was very impressed. And that's why he wrote that episode. So now I heard, didn't you also sing on The Tonight Show? Twice. How'd that come about? Well, when I sang on Miami Vice, and then I sang the national anthem, it, you know, my, my, um, well, I went on Johnny Carson once, and he really liked me, and, and he, you know, he, he brought me back a second time, and then he brought me back a third time, and then he, then a fourth time, and I, I said, well, can I sing on the show? And he said, yes. And so I got to sing twice on the show. That's so I awesome. I did seven. One, six with Johnny and one with Jay Leno. So you got to sing on The Tonight Show. You got to sing Miami, uh, sing the National Anthem. Now, when Miami Vice ended, did you know that it was ending? Were you prepared or... Because a lot of times actors say they're blindsided. Did you know it was going to? No, I was. Nobody was blindsided. You know, Don Don Johnson wanted to leave and become a big movie star. That was his intention. So it was really him. And I guess they didn't feel that. You know, like nowadays you can recast, and people are very accepting of it. But I guess back then they, you know, they felt like would be ridiculous to, I don't know. I, to be honest, I don't know the real reason, but I know that a lot had to do with Don Johnson's uh, desire to, to, to stop playing Crockett and become a movie star. So when that ended, what was your focus after that? Did you want to take some time off or did you want to pursue stage or what did you want to do after that when you got off the series which no that's a very good question and that's where I got lost um I wanted to come back to New York and do probably theater and get and and try and get you know a movie break again um what happened was while I was in Miami, uh, I got the chance to play Evita Peron in, in a production there at, at a, a theater in, in, on Miami Beach. And my new agent from uh, CAA, not CAA, ICM, uh, oh God, I can't believe I can't remember his name, it was the best agent I ever had, and I can't remember his name, so... Eric Shepard, Eric, the dear, dear Eric Shepard, who has since uh, left us, he became my agent at ICM. Uh, I was, I, I went with Sam Cohen, the famed Sam, Sam Cohen, but Sam wasn't doing anything, and Eric took over, and Eric came to see me play Vita Perone, and he made this huge. Uh, tour for me. I was making a lot of money, and I toured for three months. 
right after Miami Vice ended. So I, you know, I had a gig right after the show, but it kind of took me out of the loop. You know, I, tours are rough. You go places and especially with this role, I had, you know, I had to live like a nun. Uh, I had to save my, my vocal chops. You know, I couldn't talk in the day. I couldn't hang out with the rest of the kids. You know, it was hard. Then I came back to New York, and I took a trip to Greece, and I met this this guy, and he ended up being my first husband, which is mistake, big mistake that led to a few other mistakes, because what I really should have done was move to L.A., and what ended up happening was I stayed in New York and traveled to Greece a lot and just, you know, pretended to be in love and thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm attending to my womanly needs now as, you know. So I kind of let things go for like four years. So you let it go for four years. (laughs) No, so I was going to say you let it go for four years. So then how do you get back? I mean, do you sit there? You don't. You don't. I mean, the trick, and I've been thinking about what to say to you today, and I I think my career would have been much better if I had moved to L.A. And But I never, I never did because, like I said, I didn't know too many people there, and I always felt like a fish out of water, and I don't like to drive, and the driving there is hellish. Oh, yeah, I know. I just moved back. Believe me, I know. Oh, you moved back from New York to L.A.? No, no. I, I live in Philadelphia right now, outside Philadelphia right now. I lived in L.A. I moved back to where I grew up. I grew up outside Philadelphia. I moved back a year and a half ago. I was just on the West Coast for 22 years, the last 17 in L.A. So believe me, I know the traffic. I know. I come back here and people bitch about the Philadelphia traffic. I'm like... No, guys. That's nothing you, compared yeah. to L.A. traffic. I is, try to tell is, people, you go eight miles in an hour. They're like, get the hell. I go, no, I'm not making it up. No, I know. And so I just never could get my feet, you know, to stay in New York. I just, I mean, in L.A., I couldn't. So, you know, you live in New York, and you're just counting on getting a TV series, another TV series, or a movie, and that just started slowing up because, you know, I was aging and I wasn't like the ingenue anymore. You know, you go, women go through all these stages in, as actors. You know, first you're the ingenue that everyone wants to sleep with. <laughs> uh, I'm, and then you, you become, I don't know what. And then you're like, you're kind of invisible. Then you're, you get back a, on your feet again and then and then you start to really become visible and i think that happens with most women it's invisible i mean well it is um it it is hard i think it's harder so much harder for a woman because the roles aren't written for them like they are for older men no but i did do some great theater work here um I'm not denying. I mean, I did. I I was on Broadway a couple of more times. I was. I did a lot of off Broadway, some really interesting plays. And you one did the- play I did called Spike Heels with Kevin Bacon, 
and Tony Goldwyn and Julie White, uh, written by Teresa Rebeck. And that was kind of a big hit. But again, Kevin had a, a another project to do, so they couldn't extend it. And then um, I did uh, a Broadway musical called a Chronicle of a Death Foretold. I was the lead in that. And that didn't last long. Uh, I guess the last big theater thing I did was uh, Nine on Broadway uh, with uh, Antonio Banderas. Okay. So, you know, it's not like I stopped working. I've been working. I've been doing a lot of, t- you know, episodic. You did, you did The Sopranos. Yeah, I did The Sopranos. I'm really happy about. I mean, but that that's also another. <laughs> I have a story about that too. What's the story? Uh, <laughs> well, I was up for the role of the of the of uh, Doctor, uh, the therapist. Right. And even remember the name now because that was another upsetting. Um, and I was flown to test for it. Uh, and I read with, with James Galdafini, and, you know, I thought, if there's a role that is so perfect for me, this is the one, Dr. Melfi. And I read, you know, I did really good. I read I three or four times for uh, David Chase and, and all, again, the suits. Um, but, you know, it, as you know who got it, and so I think he kind of threw me a bone when he wrote Jeannie Cusimano. And then he wrote that another, an episode where I play a twin. Jeannie's a twin. And so that was probably the most fun I've ever had on, an, on, a, on a show. Just because you got to play, I mean, you were constantly changing outfits or what made it so fun? Well, I had to play sisters, twins, but, you know, I I didn't want to make them completely opposite. I mean, I actually, when I knew I had to play twins, I started to try and look for twins and just study them, you know, like, uh, because it was only, well, I, I wanted to be very authentic. I didn't want, you know, the mean twin and the e- the evil or the the, the nice twin. It, you know, that's the stereotypical thing. And he didn't write it that way. Or I don't know who wrote it, but he didn't write it that way. It wasn't written that way. There was just two di- distinct women who happened to be twins. One is a lawyer and one is a housewife, you know, and... Uh, so it was interesting to have that dynamic, to play that dynamic. And I I got to have my friend, my best friend, Pam McCool, be my stand-in. Like, she played opposite me. Whenever I was playing one twin, she was playing the other twin. Okay. So, in actuality, I was playing opposite someone I really loved, who was my best friend. And we we don't look alike, but they're, we look enough alike that they they used her for side you know a side view. All right. So that was fun. That was a lot of fun. 
So you, you I, and writing uh, was so brilliant, and uh, that was always a great set to work on. So you've had a really good career, and I know we had talked. You had you recently had an injury. Now, has that affected you getting out to audition? Well, it certainly did for half a year. <laughs> uh, should I explain? I was walking. I, I was I dropped off laundry because you know we have I live in a five floor walk up and there's no laundromat in the building, so I take it out. My husband and I and. I dropped it off. I was going to work out at my gym, and I was crossing the, the, the crosswalk, uh, and on the right, and there were other people too, but they were somewhat past me already, and uh, next thing I know, like, you know, there's a, an SV, SUV upon me. And I banged on the, the car, and next thing I know, I'm on the ground screaming in pain. Uh, long story short, um, my femur bone was busted in two places, and uh, I had surgery the next day, and I uh, they had to put in a, a uh, titanium rod, and I've got two uh, pins in my legs, and... I was in the hospital for two two weeks. I, I lost blood. I had to have a couple of blood transfusions. I don't know why. Uh, I was very anemic. Anyway, it was a horrible experience. And, um, yeah, there was nothing. I, I, oh, I was supposed to start a movie four days later with Edward James Olmos. This is the craziest thing. Eddie has a son who produced this movie about uh, 9-11. Okay. And I played, I was supposed to play this woman who they go interview, who's the character of Eddie James Olmos' girlfriend. I'm not going to reveal the story because it's very, uh, it might be shown and I don't want to ruin it for people, but I really, a couple of good scenes and I was looking so forward to doing it. And that was going to start four days later for me. And then this happened. So once and again. And so I had to back out. Yeah, and it must be depressing because you were going to do that. And then you also had the leg thing. Now, were you bedridden for a while? I mean, how, how long were you bedridden for? Oh, my God. Well, first of all, I had to walk on a walker. They don't, you know, by the time I left the hospital, I was walking on a walker, but it was very painful, and I could only walk maybe three minutes. Most of the time, I had to lay down with my leg up, and it was constantly in pain because I decided to get off the morphine sooner than later. Uh, in, in the hospital, I was getting uh, regular morphine. And b by the way, that is not an easy drug to get off of. Right. I, <laughs> I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> I mean, it, it was the only thing that lessened the pain, but it was, it was really 
as painful to get off of as the pain in my leg. <laughs> exactly. So now, now you're on the walker. Now, at this moment, are you back to being fully mobile? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm fully mobile, although I wouldn't say I will ever be normal. My leg is constantly in pain, particularly in the winter. Right. The wet, if it's raining, it hurts. If it's really, really cold and wet and rain, it's, it hurts even more. Now, will, but, will that affect uh, you? The one part I did get, and when I, I finally graduated to a cane, and then I finally was able to get off the cane, and that was about a year ago, um, I auditioned and got the role of the, uh, but this is funny because I played an old woman. They must, I must have walked in with a limp or something. Uh, In the Heights, you know, Lynn Manuel's In the Heights. Yeah. Well, they did it at the uh, Kennedy Center, Uh, kind of an all-star cast. Um, The kid who played Lynn Manuel's part is, is going to play the, the part in the movie version and um, uh, wonderful actors were in it, singer, performers, wonderful. Um, anyway, I play uh, the old lady who wins the lotto and has this, I have this one big song to sing. And so that was easy because I didn't have to walk fast and I didn't have to dance. Right. All I had to do was stand and sing. But um, it's, I'm still, you know, I think I have a little P, PS, what do you call it, PS? Uh, oh, PST, um, uh, yeah, um, PSP. Post-traumatic stress, stress syndrome, syndrome. Yeah. at times. You know, I'm walking on the street and a car gets a little close to me and I yell at them like, hey, you know, and it just comes out and, and the driver looks at me like I'm insane. <laughs> And you're like, no, I went through something. I, I'm not insane. <laughs> yes. So now, are, are you going to start? Do you, are you going to start auditioning again, or you, you want to take some more time off? Or well, what? I have been. I have been. Um, unfortunately, I just found out yesterday that I didn't get a part that I was really, really hoping to get. This seems to be the 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 uh, story of my life. Um. There's a new Penny Dreadful, the second season of Penny Dreadful. Okay. Called Penny Dreadful City of Angels for Showtime. Well, I was up for a a series regular on that, and uh, it was a really good part. And my agent uh, had to give me bad news yesterday. Well, I'm going to tell you this much. You watch. You're going to get something soon. Because I'm, I'm telling you, believe me, people, people come on this show and I, a, a friend of mine came on the show and he ended up, now he's the father on Young Sheldon. A year later, he's the father on Young oh, Sheldon. Good. And uh and Mate, you're good luck for the, people. Yeah, and I, you, I'm, you'll be surprised if you go through with the people that have been on my show, something always happens with them. But, uh. Well, thank you for that. I, I, you know, I want you to take away something though that. I, you know, you have to look at the glass half full. 
And and I have had a very interesting career. It hasn't always been the way I wanted it to go, but I never had to go back to being a singing waitress. So. <laughs> and, and if you look at it this way, one, you were on a, uh, a regular on a series that changed pop culture. Two, you got to sing the national anthem. And three, you got to sing on the Tonight Show. I mean, right there are three things that <laughs> no one, I don't know any other three people that can say they've done that. Look at it that way. I guess, I guess. No, I, I guess, I think singing the national anthem is probably one of the most exciting things I, I, had, I have ever done. Uh, I, and while I was doing that, I didn't know it was that a big of a deal, you know, um, because I was on this big show, and, and I thought, well, it's natural for me to get these gigs, because I'm, you know, I'm, uh, you know, you, you get a little bit egoed out, you know. Um, I wish I had, a, I, I would tell everyone who's on the rise to appreciate every moment that the career is happening, and li even the little ones, because to, the, the odds of, of getting work in this business are it's like winning a lotto. And, um, and I think I've won a couple of lottos. Exactly. So you're right. I've, I've, I've done well. I, I, I'm not complaining. I'm just giving you the, the, the ultimate truth of the business. You know, it's, it's like I think about this terrible situation with this kid, Jesse. You know, um, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know how old he is. I don't know where he came from. And and a, a, a supposedly it's alleged which you you know you want to believe alleged until proven guilty, but if it is true, the fact that he wasn't content with just 60 grand a paycheck exactly is not a good signal to to actors out there. Because that's all changed. They're not paying that kind of money, you know, so effortlessly. There's only few people making, you know, million, billion, you know, million dollars of this or that. And I think it's, it's, look, I don't, I wouldn't mind 60 an episode. I don't think anybody would. I mean, it's one of those but, things. And he has all the side things where he can do these singing gigs, and then there's a yes. You don't complain. You don't want. You know. Yes, you get an agent. Maybe they fight for you more. Maybe you are worth more. I don't know. But to do something so foolish, to risk everything, like you know, it's just so sad, and and I feel sorry for him in a way, because. It didn't, you know, he was fine. He was right. making a good living. He's making a million dollars a year. Yeah, and he had a great part on it. I got to sing. He got to, you know, actors have, I mean, I don't know what's going on now, but when I was coming up, I think actors were more, you had more humility. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just... Well, no, I think also, though, just on the point of that, because I've talked to many, many, you know, character actors that 
through the years on my show. And a lot of them were saying, you know, back then you had to be a good actor for the fact that it's not like now where they can shoot and then stop it and shoot and stop it and cut, you know, everything's digital now. So it's so much easier if you're a good looking guy who has an okay little bit of a talent, you don't have to be able to sit there and read, you know, a long scene because the way it works, it does that. And so I think that happens that the actors, they get a much bigger head because they're not really actors. I mean, you think about it. Most actors you talk to love the craft so much that, you know, a lot of them, I mean, yeah, sure you want the money, but you just love the craft so much. And that's what you, that's what you got into it for. But now because it's become easier for these people who don't really have, I'm not saying they're not talented because Jesse is, but there's people who aren't that they just, it goes to their head because they think they can do anything. And then they try exactly. to do, they try to do a Broadway show and they suck. Well, let me tell you something. I didn't mention this, but I did do a play that I'm really proud of. That was a limited engagement. I played, uh, I did, uh, the glass menagerie. It was, a, a mixed, uh, uh, mixed, um, what do you call it? Guess. I'm Latina, I guess. I don't consider myself anything, but so a Latina has never been cast as, as in, in this part. And, uh, Denzel Washington's daughter played my daughter and a very talented actor played my son, black actor, Extremely tab. They're all. It was a, full of talent. I made uh, uh, two hundred and fifty dollars a week, and I would have done it for free. Exactly. Because that the the part I learned so much from doing this part. But this is the thing about theater. An actor should always train as a theater actor first. Because that's real training. Because once you get to to movies, you can adjust. And let's face it, you all the old actors like Henry Fonda, uh, they all did theater before they went to 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 Hollywood to become the big stars they were. You know, and it's just great training. And it's also, it's my first love. We ended up talking about, I mean, started with theater and it, you know, it's my first love. And and watch in a year, you're within a year you're gonna get another TV series, and then you get more, you get more stage acting parts. I I feel it, and I have a. Well, my uh, my agent, you know, it was it's very rare for. the casting people to call the agent and say, look, it's, it's not going to, you know, cause they, they, they said to my agent, let us know what, if she gets something else, cause no, no, she's in the mix. No, 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 no. And they just, this was a, oh, like a month ago. And I went, yeah, okay, this, it's going by too long now. So they found someone else, whatever, but it's rare that your agent calls you and gives you this kind of bad news and, then says, don't worry, we're going to find you something, you know, don't fret. Exactly. And that's the point. And you're not going to fret. And you watch, 
anyway, I want to thank you for taking time to talk to me. You don't understand. I mean, it's so funny when I found out you had done a, the movie with Rose because actually we just invited Rose and her husband to our wedding. They're the only people. The only. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, I I, I used to do stand up comedy with her husband back in '88 in Philly. I've known her husband. Oh right, she told me her husband. Yeah, yeah I've known. John well, she's Clinton. a comedian herself, oh, she's right? A, she's yeah, she's an improv genius. She's so good. Yeah, but uh, she wanted me to tell you hi, and then I was just glad because as I said, I'm, I'm a big vice head. It's it's on demand now. My my fiance is like, what are you doing? Because she watches. She she's addicted to Hallmark movies, so I sit there and I ah. I go into the other room and I'll put on now Miami Vice. So when you look at the recently watched on our cable, there's all these Miami Vices. So I was very glad. Well, there's some good episodes, you know. There's some really good flashy stuff that happened on that show. Oh, I love it. So I'm glad you came on, and I want to thank you. And uh, people go to IMDb, look up Sandra. Santiago, <laughs> and go watch her movies, watch her act, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I want to thank you. And people, go to uh, my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 700 episodes. You can email me, cooper at coopertalk.net, and follow me on Twitter, that's at coopertalk. And I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>